following is a presentation of Bridges Community Church. Our teacher today is Pastor Ron King. For more information on Bridges Community Church, visit us online at www.bridgescc.org. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3. If you have not had the opportunity to be with us for the last several weeks, we've been talking about bad news. Really painful, hard, horrible news. And you would think that by this time, like I mentioned last week, surprise that anybody's still here, that um, you would keep hearing it. Because Paul, in the book, first few chapters of the book of Romans, man, he just keeps on at it, keeps on repeating it. It's like he's holding this mirror, not just to the exterior part of who we are, but to the inward depths of us. And what looks back at us is all of our brokenness, our failings, our ugliness, what the Bible calls our sin. That is the thing that separates us from God, our rebellion, um, our intentional junk, that the ways that we have pushed back against God and his plan for us. And some of the unintentional stuff, the words that we didn't say, things we ought to have done, all that stuff, Paul just keeps repeating the message. And it's a message not just for people who uh, have never walked with the Lord. It's, it's a message for people who have pursued a relationship. And, and he actually ends up by saying there is not one person, regardless of your ethnicity or your status or your background, your finances, whatever it might be, there's not one person here, not one, who really seeks after God. Not one person who is righteous of their own stuff. No matter if you have a billion great works piled up that make you look really religious and good and holy. Not one person is right with God. All of us are broken. We're all on the same page that way. Every one of us divorced from a relationship with God. Nothing we can do about it. That's bad news, isn't it? Am I the only person who thinks that? Oh, good. There's a couple of nodding heads. That's actually bringing us to a place of desperation, that we are desperate and we are in need of rescue. And that's what Paul has been doing the first several chapters of the book of Romans. And again, I, I can't emphasize this enough. The reason why he keeps after it is because he knows us. The Lord God knows how you are, that you will deny it, that you'll try to dress it up, that you'll avoid it, that you'll do all kinds of stupid, fruitless things in your life. And at the end of the day, it will just wound you worse. It'll just hurt you unless you own it, right? Unless you, you own it, John Mark, right? That, that you're broken before God. And last week we ended with that. Actually, I, I gave you a little preview of what's to come this week. That we, in, at the end of Romans chapter 3, verse 20, are just at a loss. And if you came this morning and you feel pretty good about yourself um, and how you stand before God, the news that the Bible speaks into your life this morning is that you're not. You clearly are not, and you're not able to
to do anything out of your own human works. You are a sinner, and you are completely, entirely depraved. Ouch. That, that hurts. <laughs> I, I just had this thought of my son who, who hates needles. One of my sons hates needles. Uh, hates to go to the doctor when the needle comes out. And he was young. He got lanced, and I think he's still in fear of that, that time where his mom had to hold him down, and nurses were, I know, I know you love him, honey. <laughs> but we had to take care of this abscess, and, you know, so now he's always hated that, and a lot of us are in that still avoidance mode of owning up our own junk before God, and, and that's why Paul is so insistent in the first few chapters of the book of, of Romans to help us see that our situation really is desperate. And in the middle of that flow, here comes Romans 3, 21 through 31. And it is like this violent blast of brilliant light into the darkness. Here it is. You ready for it? The good, good news. Let's read it together, starting in verse 21 of Romans chapter 3. But now, after all of this, exposing us for who we are in our desperate need for God and his plan. The righteousness of God, not our own, but the righteousness of God has been manifested, made known for everyone to see, apart from the law. That is this longing for me to do all these good things, to measure up God's law that's been clear, apart from my capacity to obey it. God had another plan. Although the law and the prophets, that is all the Old Testament, bear witness to it, the plan of God. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. And if you know any of this portion, this passage of scripture, it's this. That for all of sin, fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, that is his patience with you and I, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just. That is, he doesn't just look over our sins and say, hey, Tim, that's really okay. I forget about it. No, that's not how God operates. He's just, completely just, and he cannot act that way. And the justifier, the one who provides justification for me, of the one who has faith in Jesus, then what becomes of our boasting? Should I, can I brag about how good I am? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by, by what? By faith, apart from the works of law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this means? That is, is the law no good? 
By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law because the law's purpose, we already talked about, was to show us how depraved and how far we, how far we fall short of the God's standards, God's glory. I don't know if you've watched any of the March Madness going on. Um, I kind of like to watch college basketball, and I was watching this one particular game, Mercer against Duke. Duke is the powerhouse. They've been really successful over the years. They've got a great coach, you know, and, and Mercer is the huge underdog. And at the end of the game, Mercer wins, which is great, you know, on the March Madness because it wrecks everybody's brackets and all that other stuff that goes on. But um, they're interviewing the coach of Mercer, and he's you know, talking about his great players that he really enjoys, and then he lets it kind of blurt out right there on national television during the interview. He can't help himself because something's bubbling up inside of him, and he says it. Praise the Lord! <laughs> and the interviewer's like, uh, what do I do with that? You know, I was like, like really uncomfortable with, with this guy just giving glory to God in the moment, you know? It, it, it is really very cool, and that's what this text that I just read is about. When you hear this, I don't care if you've heard it a thousand times or a million times, but when you hear this truth, it's a powerful, deep truth, you ought to go, man, I can't help myself. I can just blurt it out. I don't care what people are going to think. It's just, it just wells up in me because it's such great news that I was once a captive. I was a slave as scripture teaches, to my sin, to my brokenness, my wrecked position before God. Every one of us. And then, this crazy, wild plan of God, this unexpected plot twist. I read a book last week, and it ended really bad. It was a story, just a fiction story. And at the end of it, this person thought they were being really creative, I suppose, artsy literature, you know, whatever. And everyone dies, and, you know, you're left depressed. I'm like, really? That's how this book ends? I hate that. I hate it when the end is, you know, when it stinks. And that's what would happen if the end of the story was Romans chapter 3, verse 20. That would, that's, if that was the end of the story, if God did not do anything about it, my wreckness, that's what it would end like. And I would walk away just totally bummed and wrecked. It's not the end of the story. It's, it's not because in the middle of this, my place before God as a wrecked person, the good news shines out. It's just brilliantly, God had this wild plot twist to life and to history that he would send his own son. You know the story, right? Many of you. Jesus, to come and live a perfect life and then to give his life so that I might know the righteousness of God. I might be offered this free gift of his innocence for my guilt. Now, I read this passage, and as I did, there's some power behind it that I hope you understand. That God has done something to pay the price for your sin. To redeem you. 
So we passed out these stickers, and some of you are already wearing them. Some of you are still trying to figure out, how do I get this picking paper off? I can't get the paper off, stick it on me, but I invite you if you want to stick it on. It just says this, good news, redeemed. And if you don't stick it on, you're not saved. <laughs> no, it's actually a free gift to you, right? And, and I know some of you didn't put it on because you thought, ah, you know, what happens if I forget it? And then when you like, go to lunch afterwards... And that's going to be awkward, you know, it kind of looks cheesy and it's not like doesn't match the color of my eyes or whatever. And the person, the you know, waitress is going to say, hey, what's that? You know, knucklehead, you forgot something from church. It's going to make you feel awkward. Yeah, get over it, right? God, God had this plan to give all so that you might have confidence in this great truth. That if you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done... You can be redeemed. Your, your price, the price was paid. Now, there's some words that help you understand this that Paul says that are written in kind of a foreign language. Well, they were originally. It was written in Greek. But the foreign language is kind of Christianese as it's interpreted because they're words we don't often use in our vocabulary outside of a gathering like this. So I want to help you understand a few of those words as we think, and then we're going to stick our head thinking through the flow of what Paul said. So the first word I want you to catch is this word, propitiation. Did you see it there in the text? Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, verse 23, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. What does that mean? It's really important, actually, vital that you understand the force of this word. It means the removal of God's punishment for sin through the perfect blood sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. There's this crazy hymn that sometimes we sing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. Yeah, nothing but the blood of Jesus which is weird when you think of it, isn't it? When people outside of um, the language of Christianity hear that, they think, wow, what? what? Like, we try to get blood out of our clothes so it gets clean. You can't imagine like, thinking about your, you know, going home and saying, oh, we've got to clean the clothes, and so let's pour a bunch of blood in there as opposed to detergent and see what happens. But in the economy of God and the plan, the crazy, wild plan of God, it's blood that, cleans, that cleanses me, that takes care of all my... That's the only thing, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that can cleanse my brokenness and my sin. That's the only thing that can do it. And propitiation, that word, helps me understand that there was a blood sacrifice needed. Now, God, in his wonderful creativity, thousands of years before, instituted a sacrificial system. And when you think about that system, what they were doing, it's really bloody. It's grotesque even. When you think about those people that would come to church, and they'd come to church week after week, and they'd sacrifice these animals to cover their own guilt and sin and brokenness. Their religion, their system of religion was really bloody. What he was doing was imprinting an indelible sign, an image for people to understand what was coming. 
He was helping them understand that the sacrificial system was to stamp this indelible picture of the cost of our sin and brokenness. What is the cost of my brokenness, my sin before God, my guilt, and my shame? The cost is life. For the wages of my sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life, and that gift was life. Propitiation had to happen, this washing with blood. And it's, again, one of those things that's offensive. Isn't that offensive? It's offensive to a lot of my friends who have yet to know and embrace by faith Christ and this new life. They wonder, what kind of faith is it that uses a symbol of execution as their chief symbol, a cross? Have you ever thought about how weird that is? strange, right? But in the economy of God, in the story that God wrote in human history, it was this cross that's a symbol of the cost of my sin and what God did, the links that he would go to, to bless me with a violent grace. And it is violent. It costs him everything. But he loved me. He loved you. So much. So we can't help bubbling up, praise the Lord, right? We can't, we can't help but in the middle of thinking about this powerful truth. Here's a second word. It's redemption. And the reason I mention it is because although you may understand or have a, a clue about how it's used, it's misused so much in our culture and our society. Redemption simply means setting sinners free from the slavery of sin and death. Paul's story, as he brings out the gospel in Romans, the first few chapters, was that we are slaves in capture. Remember last week of sin and death. And the price paid for us to be set free is the life of his son, Jesus, on the cross. Now, um, perhaps you're not watching March Madness, or perhaps you watch the Olympics. I have this, like, irritant that happens when sportscasters do their thing, and Often you hear this phrase, wow, with that act they redeem themselves. And I always cringe when I hear that. Why? Because you can't. You cannot redeem yourself. Sorry. You can have this pile of great stuff that you've done this week, and it doesn't matter. You cannot pay the price. I can't pay the price. Actually, by definition, you cannot. So even if you make at the buzzer, you make this 50-foot jump shot, wins the game, everyone's screaming around you, you didn't redeem yourself. You didn't do it. The only thing that can redeem a man, a woman, a child, the only thing that can redeem us is Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. His accomplished work. His redemption, you see, that's the story that he loves you with a crazy extravagance. Way more than you can imagine or dream. He would say in human history, I don't care how long that you've walked away from me. I don't care what you've done. It matters, you're guilty. But I would love you so deeply and so profoundly that I would pay that price for your brokenness, even if it hurts, even if it costs me 
the life of my son in a horrible execution. I, I would pay it to redeem you, to pay your price, because I love you. Still haven't heard I praise the Lord yet, but I imagine sooner or later we're going to hear that. That's such powerful news. That's redemption. Here's the third word, justified. Now, you might think of justified as trying to make an excuse for your behavior. That you're standing before God and, and you can make all kinds of appeals to how good you've been. But we already heard in Romans chapter 3 earlier that you can make this long list of your appeals and God will say, no. Actually, it says that every person when they stand before God, the judge, just shuts up because they see his holiness and you want to say, and then you realize, man, nothing is going to wash before a holy God who's just entirely. Why would I even, I'm not even going to pretend to say it. I'm just going to be quiet before him. So that's not what it means by justified. It means that we're declared not guilty. And it's not just as if I've never sinned. You might have heard that definition for justification. Some of you have been around church for a while. It means just as if I've never sinned. Well, that's not true because you have sinned. You stand before God and it's not going to be like you've never sinned. You have sinned. You're guilty. Sorry. But God has done something about it. That's the good news. He's done something about it. Rather, Jesus has paid for my guilt, and I have been given his spotless innocence. God, the holy, perfect judge, sees me standing before him in my guilt and shame, and I have seized what he has given me, his redemption. And he looks at me and Matt and others of you, really bad sinners, and he sees the innocence of his son. That's good. Gospel is kind of like it's kind of like this pineapple. It's kind of ugly on the outside, but inside, right? This crazy, wild story that God wrote through history—it's it's ugly. It's bloody. It's yeah. It's got this arresting imagery that God wanted us to see, but inside, ooh man, I can smell it right now, right? It it's sweet. It's not like durian. If you know what I'm talking about, those of you who know durian. And maybe it's an acquired taste. I know there's probably some of you who like durian. Just like there's some of you that like the law. But durian on the inside has this nasty aftertaste, if you ask me. That's kind of the law. It doesn't really take care of what's broken inside of me. But the gospel, that's sweet. It's sweet. There's another word that's important for us to see and know and understand because the whole truth of this rests on you understanding what God expects out of you. He doesn't expect a work. You don't get to take credit for anything that happens in this exchange. It's all God's gift. You can't stand back, just like it says in the text, and boast about what happens here. Because even your faith is God-given. That's the word I want us to understand, faith. It's putting our complete confidence in Jesus to forgive our sin, to make us right with God, and empower us to live the life God designed for us. That's what faith is. Complete confidence to bring forgiveness and redemption 
and justification, his propitiation for me, his life given for me. And not because of anything I've done, but I've just thrown my confidence in God's plan and his gift, and I've taken it. I don't get credit for receiving the gift, but it's placing my faith in that. And why would I do that? Why would I, why would I throw my, my future, my life, into the hands of God and this wild plan that he has for me? It's because this faith is based on Jesus, a historical character that actually lived in history, space and time, and gave his life for us and rose from the dead. That's why I do it. That's why I place my faith in him. It's not illogical. It makes sense. I know, you know, when we're in our quiet space that we're broken. Don't you? But God has this great plan, and I place my faith in him. And it's God's plan, not ours. Many of you know that Sue and I walked through years of infertility. We had this plan when we first got married for a family that was different. In fact, I do premarital counseling with couples, and they've got all these ideas about what is going to happen with them. I just talked on the phone with another couple uh, the other day, and they had these plans, and I just kind of laughed to myself. I'm like, you know what? It's good to have plans. But the story of history is that God has his plans, and you have yours, and God's always win. God always wins. And the thing is, God's plans are always better. Soon I got this phone call, and um, this girl, teenager, was pregnant, and they wanted us to adopt their child. And God had orchestrated the timing of this just in a perfect way, right? And um, we happened to be coming up to this area, and we met this family, and it was obviously orchestrated by God. When we got that phone call, we could have said, nah, I don't think so. We're going to keep working at it. We'd already been a lot of years into it. We could have just said no or no, we don't. And we would have missed the joy of adopting a child in our family. You can say no to the sticker. You can say no to the redemption God offers you. You don't have to be part of the family of God. You don't have to. But you certainly don't get credit for saying yes. You should. I invite you to this morning, if you never have, just say yes to God's gift of grace. It's great news. There's no better news. Praise the Lord. Yeah. There's no better news than this. This is the greatest of news for us. And I place my faith because his nature combines justice and love. Both. He is just and he is full of grace and loving to me. And I place my faith there because Jesus has proved faithful through life and death and resurrection. I have great confidence because he's always been true. That's why I grab hold of this plan for God, as wild as it sounds, as crazy and illogical as it might sound. This is God's plan for me and for you, that he would offer redemption in my brokenness, pay the price, the blood of his son shed on a cross so that I might have life and I might live for him. So the passage, the passage is powerful, isn't it, with these words in mind. But now the righteousness, that is the right relationship I can have with God, that is of God and not my own righteousness. It has been made known apart from all the other things of the law and my attempts to obey it. 
And everything in history has pointed this direction, Scripture says. The righteousness of God that is through faith. Me placing my complete confidence on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done. And we, you and I, and every single person are in the same place. Before God, we are all on equal ground. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What he has in store for us, for those who would trust him by faith. Every one of us falls short. We're all on that same equal ground. And all on the same equal ground offered grace. Whether you were a Jew or a non-Jew. Regardless of your ethnicity or religious background, your status, whatever. We're all in the same place. Offered this by God's own grace. His gift of righteousness to us given through his son, Jesus Christ. If we will. Turn to him, honestly, and receive it. This one that God put forward, his propitiation, his blood shed for us as a sacrifice given for us. God was patient for a long time. And now, Paul said, here in the present time, God has unfolded his plan for us so that we might know it and we might grasp it and we might live in this. So should we boast about this? That we are forgiven and my neighbor's not? Yeah, thank you for that. That would be so stupid, right? Instead, I want my neighbor, I want my friends to know of it. I want them to understand this great truth that he always had in mind this wild display of violent, beautiful grace. God has always had it in mind. We came this morning, and you've been full of your own stuff for maybe a long, long time. Don't leave here broken or unforgiven. Don't leave here turning your back on the redemption of God. And brothers and sisters of mine, dear family of faith, if you have had the opportunity to drink from the grace of God while everybody else is in the desert, what we do is we don't hoard grace around here, right? We have this really wonderful, fantastic, good news to share with people around us this week. So hear this. Drink in the grace of God. Enjoy it for all that it's worth. And let it spur in you this delight, this praise that God has loved you even in your desperate situation, in your brokenness, and he has offered redemption to you freely, and you can, by faith in Jesus, just have it and enjoy it and, and revel, drink it in. But it's not just about you, is it? If you just did that and you left it that with that this week at school, at work, in your neighborhood, then you'd be like that idiot that just threw the water on the ground. Don't do that, man. Got to share it. Let me pray for you, if I might, please. Father, thank you for the blessing of grace. What great news. In the thick of the darkest news possible, you pour out this really great truth. That's not of us, but you have done everything needed to buy us back. 
that we were captives and you set us free. Help us to walk in freedom, to seize this plan that you have by faith and accept it, to live in it, and then to take it in very practical ways to share it. Christ's name, all God's people say, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Bridges Community Church, located in Fremont, California. For more information about Bridges Community Church, please visit us online at www.bridgescc.org.